Philippians chapter 3, notice starting in verse number 4. Paul writes, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It would seem, as you read the writings of Paul, that he had some kind of athletics in his background. Paul often refers to some kind of an athletic contest. For instance, he talks about uh, us being in a wrestling match with Satan. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It would appear that, that Paul perhaps had experienced or maybe had at least witnessed uh, this, this idea of wrestling. Uh, we, we see Paul talking about running a race. They would run in a race, run all. One receives the prize and so on. So it seems that Paul had some athletics or perhaps some interest in uh, sporting events during his time. He often uses these examples and relates them to the arena of life that we live in. Now, who in their right mind would participate in sports without the purpose of winning? I know that's a foreign concept to you growing up in the 21st century. We live in the participation trophy generation. I'm not from that generation. I can't figure out why people want to compete without winning. Um, when, when my nephews, their names are Tim and Tom, and they're twins, and uh, when they were little, they begged me to come watch one of their baseball games. They were playing peewee baseball. And uh, I consented to go as a good uncle, you know, and I, I go to this park, it's a hot summer day, and uh, crawl up in these bleachers with about 20 other uh, parents and, and people, I guess, and uh, uh, they started this game, and it, it, it was horrible. I mean, these kids, they, they can't hit, they can't catch, they can't throw. I mean, they're, they're learning the basics, but they're horrible. I mean, this, this thing is, is terrible. And, and the game was so pathetic. For five innings, we sat there and nobody scored. 
Not one single run. I don't think anybody had gotten a hit. And, and it, it, it was just, it was like watching paint dry. I mean, it was horrible. And I'm up in these bleachers, I'm sweating, I'm in the hot sun, I'm watching just because, you know, I'm a good uncle, I guess. And so I'm up there and all of a sudden in the, in the fifth inning, maybe it was the sixth, but, 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 but the team that Tim and Tom were on, they scored a run. I don't have time this morning to tell you how it happened. It was a modern day miracle, really, how it happened. But they scored a run. And, and when they did, I jumped out of my seat. I, I began to clap. I began to cheer, you know. And, and immediately I realized I was the only one standing. I was the only one cheering. And everybody was turning around and looking at me like I was the Antichrist. And I... I kind of slinked back down in my seat and I looked at my sister-in-law, Nona, and I said, Nona, what's that all about? She said, oh, we don't keep score. I said, we don't keep score. What are we doing here? <laughs> now, people get a little edgy when you talk today this way about competing to win, but you know what? The Bible talks about it that way. Paul said, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, and one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. In other words, the, the Christian life is one of reaching forth toward a prize, toward an attainment of something eternal. And God commands us to be moving forward. Uh, the athlete now competes for an earthly prize. The athlete is competing for a championship, uh, perhaps a, a banner to hang in the gymnasium, or perhaps a trophy of some kind, or a, a ribbon. How many of you have ever competed in something? Maybe athletics, maybe fine arts competition. You've competed in something. Raise your hand again, all over this room. You've competed in Maybe you, uh, you know beat your little brother up, competed, you know? Uh, how many of you won something? You, you, you competed and you won. All right, good. But you know, those awards or certificates or trophies or ribbons, it's kind of all past tense now, isn't it? I mean, some of them are maybe tucked away in a box in your garage or maybe in your closet back home or maybe your parents have left them on a shelf, you know? And uh, those, those trophies after a while, boy, at the time you win them, it's exciting, you know, and it's thrilling to be part of a championship or, or, or winning some kind of an award in, in, in music or something at a competition at camp or a fine arts competition. It's a lot of fun to win. And boy, that trophy, it's, it's fun to pose with, you know, and get your picture and all that kind of stuff. But it all kind of fades in time, doesn't it? It kind of, yeah, yeah. I was there, I won that, or did that, and, and you move on. That's the earthly prize. And athletes today, they, they compete, of course, at a very high level. This is Super Bowl week, and boy, those, the 49ers and the, and the Kansas City Chiefs, boy, they're preparing with everything they've got to try to win that Vince Lombardi trophy at the end of the day on Sunday, and, and that's going to be a big deal. But you know, how many of us could name the previous 53 Super Bowl winners? You know, it's all past. Oh, maybe you can remember when your favorite team won back in the day sometime, but you know, it's all past. It comes and it goes. And it, 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 it kind of fades with time. The things in this life that we compete for or, or anticipate, they're, they're earthly. That is, they're, they're temporal. 
in my high school in Watertown, Wisconsin, there's a trophy next to the principal's office. It has its own special trophy case. And we used to walk by it and laugh at it. It was the state championship basketball trophy from 1921. I mean, it literally had green moss on it. I mean, the, 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 the metal was so old, it kind of had corroded. And, and, and we'd walk past it. You could barely read the writing on it. It had all the names of the players on it. And I remember looking at it one time and, and, and trying to read the names, you know, and figure those names out and what it actually said. And it was almost impossible to read it. Now, I'm sure when that team in 1921 won that trophy, that was a big deal. I mean, that was important. That was exciting. I mean, think about a hundred years ago. But now, you know, you can't even read the names. That, that's an earthly prize. But Paul said they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. As we think about that this morning, Paul distinguishes in Philippians 3 four dynamic disciplines as we endeavor to reach forth toward the prize that is set before us. As we begin this semester, as we start another year on the calendar, as we're moving forward in our life through college and on into ministry and life, what are four dynamic disciplines that we're going to need in order to be successful? First, we see Paul's analysis. Paul's analysis. Now, if you know anything about sports today, you know that analytics is a huge part of the sports world today. Uh, they analyze everything. Uh, they have computer programs on literally every aspect of every player. Every play is dissected, every move of a player. Do you know that in the Super Bowl on Sunday, there will be a GPS system woven into the jersey of every player. And that GPS system that's woven into the fabric of that jersey tells people what that player's heart rate is at any given moment in that game. It tells them what their blood pressure is. It tells them everything about that athlete. Uh, that, you know, you think, oh, why did they take that guy out? How come they took him out? That was an important play. They took him out because somebody upstairs was saying, he's tired. He needs a blow. He needs a break. Get him out of there. Get somebody fresh in there. They're monitoring everything. If you know anything about baseball, I mean, they analyze every single statistic. And sometimes your favorite player gets, gets pinch hit for, and you wonder, why, why did they pinch hit for that guy? He's the best hitter on the team. He's got three hits tonight. Yeah, but there's a relief pitcher in, and he's never gotten a hit off him. And this guy in the bench is four out of ten against that guy. We're putting him in. Analytics. It's, it's part of the process today of sports. It's become a very integral part of, of, of salaries and, 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 and trades and all kinds of things are done in order to put together a team that can compete and win. And Paul talks about uh, analyzing his life here a little bit. He, he's looking at his life. He's, he's taking a look at where he's at spiritually and he's saying, how can I get better? How can I move forward? How can I reach for this prize that God has set before me? How can I be successful in this race that God has placed me in? I think this is a good day for a little bit of analytics spiritually in our life. How was your break? 
if, if someone had woven a spiritual GPS system into our clothing over the break, what would we be analyzing right now? Some of you might think, oh boy, uh, don't, don't give it to Brother Shetler. I might not be here tomorrow. <laughs> boy, yeah, I, I really wasn't real faithful in my Bible reading. Yeah, in fact, I, I, I missed some church services. I didn't, I didn't even try to give out a tract. That's an important process, isn't it? We, we don't like that. I'm sure athletes sometimes when their, when their salary comes up, when their contract comes due and, and, and the general manager says, well, you know, if you track your career here, your stats are kind of going down here. So we're only going to offer you this much money to play again for us. And I'm sure that's a little bit uncomfortable for that athlete to realize that his career is on the downside or maybe he didn't perform quite like he expected to or he didn't, they didn't really get their money's worth out of him. And you know, it's important for us as Christians to take time. Oh yeah, we're in college now. We're in Bible college and you went home and people looked at you and said, oh wow, you're in Bible college. That's great. And boy, you're, you're living the Christian life and that's wonderful. But you know, God wants us to kind of take an analysis of our life. And Paul takes time here for that. He, he analyzes things. Many of you have analyzed your academic standing. That's part of the process this week. What, do I, what, do I, what classes do I need? What do I have left to graduate? Uh, that's an analysis. Uh, you, you'll be analyzing your finances. You know, I, I'm going to owe this much money and I've got this much money and I'm, I'm going to get a job that pays this much money. That's an analysis, isn't it? You're analyzing your, your studies. You're analyzing your time. You're, you're analyzing your, your future. And as Paul analyzes his life here, notice Paul's sterling resume. In verse number four, he says, uh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Well, he's got a sterling resume here. Paul was religious. Paul was righteous. Paul was rigorous. Paul was resolved. Paul was resilient. When Paul looked at his resume, he had been a Pharisee before he was even saved. The Pharisees kept 638 laws in the Old Testament. And Paul said, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That's a pretty amazing statement. I mean, Paul was a, was a man that had some pretty good things on his resume. Paul told the Corinthian church, I can speak in languages more than you all. They were boasting about, you know, speaking in these different languages. And he was discussing this matter of, uh, of having interpreters and, and, and knowing what you're saying and being able to speak clearly the gospel. And he said, look, you guys are bragging about stuff that you shouldn't be bragging about. I, I can speak in languages more than any of you. 
Paul was a very educated man. Paul was a very religious man. Paul was a man that had sat at the feet of Gamil. Paul knew the scriptures. Paul had a resume that was sterling. But notice as he analyzes all that, Paul's sought relationship. Oh, he had a sterling resume, but as he analyzes that, he's not puffed up in pride. He's not like, hey, look what I've done. Paul focuses on his sought relationship in verse 10, that I may know him. That I may know him. How bad do you want to know him? Some of you that are seniors, you can taste it, can't you? You can taste graduation. And it's going to carry you through this semester. It's going to drive you. I'm almost done. Man, I'm almost there. This is my last semester. I can taste it. I can sense it. I can feel it. I, I, I'm going to make it. I'm going to finish this thing called college. Uh, some of you uh, uh, have other areas of your life where, where you feel like you're, you're, you're on your way, you're almost there. Maybe it's a, a relationship with a young lady or a young man. You're thinking, we're, we're engaged now, we're going to get married, and, and we're almost there to a life uh, together and, 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 and all the joys that come with it. And, and, and you think about those things, but how bad do you want to know him? As badly as we might want a relationship or as badly as we might want to graduate or as badly as we want a job or as badly as we want some possession, how badly do we want to know him? As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist said, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. How badly do you want to know this book? How badly do you want to know your Savior? You know, the Bible says, if you seek him, you shall find him when you shall search for him with all of your heart and all of your soul. God, God doesn't play hide and seek from us. God wants to be found. But we've got to seek. We've got to want to know him. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There's none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. His sought relationship. But notice also his sober realization. In verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss for Christ. As you analyze your life, the Lord will no doubt, as he did with Paul, bring some good things to mind. He'll, he'll bring some accomplishments to mind. He, he'll, he'll bring some achievements to mind. Some things where you served him faithfully and there was a, a good result. Someone got saved or, or someone was encouraged or, or, or you were able to help somebody in a time of need. And, and God will bring some, some achievements to your mind. And, and yet, as you think about those things, they all kind of pale in comparison to, to our relationship with the Lord, knowing Him. And as we seek to know Him, we have this sober realization that really all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
All that we endeavor to do for God is really pretty paltry. Because we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves. Our sufficiencies of God. The truth is that any achievement that we may have in our life is only a result of God helping us to accomplish it. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Just think about it for a minute. What do we have on our resume that impresses God? I mean, I mean, do you think it impresses God that our GPA is 3.98? When he's the one that gave you the ability to get those kind of grades? Do you think it impresses God that we played on the volleyball team or, or play on the basketball team when it was God who gave us that talent in the first place? Do you think it impresses God that we have a job that pays our school bill when it's God who gives us the energy even to get out of bed in the morning? There's really nothing on our resume that impresses him. What ability do we have that we were not given by God? What skill have we mastered without his help? What fruit can we offer God that he himself did not produce through our life? We would be nothing without him. For without me, ye are nothing. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So we realize as we analyze that we owe everything to him. So Paul's analysis. But notice secondly, Paul's amnesia. This is so important. I see a calculated surrender here in verse 7. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted, I counted loss for Christ. This was a calculated surrender. Paul took time to analyze his life. And as God brought some things to his mind, as he brought some achievements to his mind, Paul took those one by one. He began to count those things. And as he did, he counted them but loss. Everything on Paul's resume was impressive humanly. But as he held those accomplishments up next to God, he counted them as loss. He, he couldn't put them in the win column. All of the applause, all of the accolades, all of the approval, the acclaim that Paul could have received and humanly would have deserved. Paul says, I count but loss. A calculated surrender. And he uses a contrasting symbolism. Look at verse 8. Paul didn't simply count his accomplishments as a loss. In verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them, there's that calculation again, I do count them but dung. You know, I grew up on a farm, I know what dung is. It's not good, it's not pleasant. In fact, it's to be avoided. It's nauseating. It's worthless. It's, it's a stench to the nostrils. 
Some of you live in a home where your parents have required you from little on to take your shoes off when you come in the door. How many of you walk around your house with no shoes? Your parents require you to take shoes. Well, a lot of you. I do not practice that presently. But when I was a kid growing up on a farm, we took our shoes off. We came in that cellar door. There was a little stairway up to the kitchen. And on that stairway, we would put our shoes. As we came in from the barn, my mother did not want those shoes in the house. Why? Because they had dung on them. We'd been out working with those animals. We had been in those cow pens and the pig pens. We had been in the chicken coop. We had been around dung. And it had no place in the house. And as Paul looked at his accomplishments here, as Paul analyzed some of the things that God had allowed him to do, he uses this contrasting symbolism because Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And that leads him to again appreciate his complete salvation. You know, when, when, what helps us realize how worthless we really are is to remind ourselves that nothing we've ever done in our life will get us to heaven. Nothing that we can do, no amount of good works, no amount of religion, no amount of anything can get us through the door of heaven. Salvation is not an attainment, it's an atonement. And in verse 9, he says, be, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. As Paul analyzes his life, he realizes, I, I've, got to, I've got to have some amnesia here. I've got to forget about who I am. I've got to forget about all these accomplishments humanly. Because when I walk into heaven, it's not going to be because I went to church or because I preached the gospel or because I helped somebody in need. No, I'm going to heaven only because of Christ. And the truth is, after you get saved, you're going to realize quickly that the only thing that really is eternal from your life is that which Christ has produced. It's nothing of us. When we start boasting of our accomplishments, our past victories, our successes, we've lost. We're no longer reaching forth. When we start living in the past of past accomplishments and past victories, we're no longer reaching forth. We're no longer running the race. We're no longer focused on the prize. Because pride goeth before destruction, the haughty spirit before fall. So Paul's analysis and Paul's amnesia then leads him to Paul's aim. When you study the life of Paul, you discover very quickly that Paul does not spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror. The devil wants you to focus on the rearview mirror. Whether your past is successful or a failure, the devil wants you to look back all the time. Many Christians, all they talk about is the past. They talk about what they used to do. They, they talk about the way it was in the good old days. You guys hate that. Oh, I remember the day. Yeah. You don't have time for that. 
A lot of Christians live in the past. Well, I used to do this. I used to be a missionary. I used to sing in the choir. I used to whatever. And they're doing absolutely nothing today. Other Christians live in the past because the devil wants them to think about all the failure in their life. The devil tries to draw their eyes to that rearview mirror and see those skeletons hanging in their closet. Oh, look what you used to do. Now you're in Bible college? Oh, that's funny. The devil loves for us to look in that rearview mirror. Because if the devil can get us to look back, we're no longer reaching forward. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And Paul turns his attention now to the windshield of his life. He's taken some time to analyze. That's good because we can't run in the future without analyzing perhaps what, where we're at in the race. But we have to forget any past victories or any past defeats. And now we've got to focus on what's before us. Paul's aim in verse 12, he says, not as though I had already attained. In other words, I've not arrived. I, I haven't won the race yet. I still have distance before the finish line. And, and I made some mistakes back there and I had some successes back there, but, but the race isn't over. Either we're already perfect, he says in verse 12, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. There's our theme, reaching forth. It troubles me that so many times in my life I lack purpose. I lack aim. When I find myself saying, whatever, that troubles me. Uh, I hear people say, what are you gonna do today? I'm just gonna hang out. What have you accomplished hanging out? You ever really accomplish anything hanging out? <laughs> Lack of purpose. Proverbs calls this person simple, the simple man. Contrasted to the fool and the scorner and the wise man, the fourth person in the book of Proverbs is described as a simple person. The simple man believeth every word. The word simple in the Hebrew has the idea of space or room. He's a space cadet. <laughs> he's spacey. He's roomy. And what it means is he's not fixed. He's not purposed. There's still space. There's still room. He hasn't decided his direction. He hasn't uh, set any goals. He, he doesn't have convictions that guide him down the road. He, he still has an opportunity to, to take a detour, to, to exit the freeway, to, to deviate from the journey. He, he, he's a simple man. And thus, every little thing that comes along draws him a different direction. You ever been with a group of friends and you say, hey, let's go out to eat. Okay, yeah, let's go out to eat. Where do you want to go? Um, uh, let's go to Taco Bell. Uh, no, no, no. Let's go. Yeah. 
And one guy's saying, yeah, Taco Bell. Yeah, let's go Taco Bell. Somebody else says, no, no, I don't, I don't like Taco Bell. Let's go, to, let's go to Wingstop. Yeah, yeah. Same guy goes, yeah, let's go to Wingstop. You know, no matter what you said, yeah, I'm in. You know? He doesn't have any conviction about what he eats. He just wants you to pay for it. That's it. You know? <laughs> but sometimes spiritually, we're like that. You know, if you're not careful in Bible college, every preacher that comes to, to chapel, man, the guy's a pastor. I want to be a pastor. Next guy's a missionary. Oh, I want to be a missionary. Next guy's an evangelist. Oh, I think I'll be an evangelist. And we're not set. We're not purposed. We don't have an aim. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I don't know if we could count the number of young people who have sat in Bible college who wanted to be everything that today are doing nothing. And where does clarity come from when it comes to purpose? How do, we, how do we get clarity for life? How do we get purpose? How do we get an aim? How do we set our face toward the windshield of life? Well, the Bible says in, in Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. You're not going to figure out life's purpose by listening to everybody around you, you're not going to find life's purpose by simply looking at all the opportunities. You're going to find life's purpose by the Word of God. It's the lamp to our feet. It's the light to our path. It gives that direction for our life. And Paul here has a distinct purpose in his life. He, he's aiming at something. He's moving forward towards something. He hasn't already attained. He realizes there's some things in the past. There's, there's some good and there's some bad. But he's going to forget all that. He's going to move forward toward that which God has called him to do. A distinct purpose. And he has in his mind a distant prize. In verse 13 he says, Reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now remember, this prize is not an earthly prize. Paul's not trying to attain something here. The prize is not a higher position. The prize is not greater perks. The prize is not more praise. The prize is not accumulated possessions. Here, we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. See, the, the prize that Paul is aiming at is not earthly. It's not a corruptible crown. It's not a 1921 trophy in a case in a high school. He's seeking something eternal. And too often we, we, we lose perspective and purpose in our life because we start attaining some things and oh, that really wasn't what it was cracked up to be. Have you ever done something you were anticipating, looking forward to it, and it finally came, you did it, and then you thought, that was dumb. It really, it, really, it really didn't satisfy like you thought it would. It really didn't, didn't do for you what you, you thought it would. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it was even winter break, you know. We were sure anticipating it. Now we're back. It's like, yeah, wasn't that great? That's kind of the way earthly stuff is. It kind of comes and it goes. And if you set your sights on simply something earthly, you're going to be disappointed in life. You're going to be frustrated in life. You're going to think, that eh, it wasn't always cracked up to be. You're going to, you're going to try ministry, and if, if it doesn't work, if it's not what you thought it was going to be, you're going to quit. 
But the prize is not here. It's not a corruptible crown. It's not an earthly prize. Well, what is that which we're seeking for? What are we purposed to do? What is it that we as West Coast Baptist College students are aiming toward? Well, notice finally this morning, Paul's adoration. Paul's adoration. We see here an energizing compass in the heart and mind of Paul. When I, when I read Paul's writings and I think about his life, I, I, I ask myself, what, what got this guy out of bed in the morning? What kept him up all night? What, what, what caused Paul, after being stoned to death, to get up and go to the next city and preach? I mean, where did that, as we would say today, where did the juice come from, you know? I mean, where did that energy come from? Where did that, that drive? I mean, the guy, the guy just keeps going. He's like the Energizer bunny. You can't stop this guy. He's just always abounding. He's always serving. He, 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 he goes through difficulties. He goes through, obviously, some discouragement and setbacks. And yet it doesn't seem to stop him. He writes things like, none of these things move me. Uh, he, he talks about whether by life or by death, I'm going to glorify God with my body. It's like uh, when they said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They'll, they'll, they'll put you in prison. He said, what, me need to weep and break my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the Lord Jesus. I mean, what, where does that come from? And for us, I, how, do we get, how do we get to the place where, where, where God would be pleased with our life and we walk into heaven and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How do we get there? What energizes Paul? Well, notice carefully his words in verse 14. He says, I'm striving for the prize of the high calling of God. See, this prize is not a position in life. It's not like maybe we would think, well, you know, I'm, I'm here in West Coast. I'm, I'm studying and I believe God's called me to be a pastor. And boy, I just can't wait to be a pastor. But, but becoming a pastor is not the prize. Boy, I, 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 I want to get married. I, I want to have a family. I want to, I want to just enjoy a, a wife, a husband, a family. I, I, I want to get married. And that's great, but that's not the prize. What's the prize? Paul said the high calling of God is the prize. Saul, on the road to Damascus, was smitten with a bright light from heaven. He falls to his knees. He says, who art thou, Lord? And God speaks to him. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks and so on. We know the story. And Paul says, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord tells him to go into the city. It'll be told you what you must do. Now that's the account as Luke gives it to us. Luke wasn't there. Even if he was there, it says that they heard they 
they didn't see or hear exactly what Paul heard and saw. Just as if God is speaking to your heart right now, I can't see that. I can't hear with my ears what God is saying. So Luke is kind of, he's relating this conversion of Saul of Tarsus to us from his view. But later on in the book of Acts, in chapter 26, Paul, now after years of ministry, is standing before King Agrippa. And he's given his testimony. And as he gives his testimony, here's how Paul gives it. He said, I heard a voice out of heaven saying, rise, stand upon thy feet, for I've appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul recalls that moments, perhaps seconds after his conversion, God gave him a purpose. And Paul is energized by that high call of God in his life. Because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Brother Gash, you're not talking to me now because I'm not called to ministry. Let me ask you this. What are you called to? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying, what are you called to? What is your purpose? You need to figure that out. You need to ask God to show you that. Don't put your life in neutral and say, well, God hasn't called me. Oh, yes, he has. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. I'm not telling you it's to be a preacher. I'm not telling you it's to be a missionary. I'm not saying that everybody in here ought to, ought to be a Christian day school teacher. But what has God called you to do? Because you need to get your mind on the windshield. If you're looking out the side view of your car for the rest of your journey, yeah, I don't want to ride with you. <laughs> We need some students here at West Coast that'll get on their knees someplace on this campus and say, God, what is my purpose? What am I looking at? What is going to energize me to keep going when it gets tough? When I run out of money, when I fail a class, when my boyfriend breaks up with me, what am I going to do? I'm going to keep striving toward that purpose. And that purpose was an exalted Christ. Paul's statement here for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Guys, the prize is him. It's him. It's not me and what I want, what I desire, what I enjoy. It's him. It's not what somebody else thinks I should do with my talents or my abilities. It's him. That I may know him. When our focus is removed from ourselves 
And our only aim is to fulfill the calling of God in our life. Ego doesn't matter. Expense doesn't matter. Exhaustion doesn't matter. Excuses don't matter. Enticements don't matter. Exaltation doesn't matter. Enemies don't matter. Esteem doesn't matter. All that matters is that Christ receives glory from my life. That's all. That's all that matters. When you run out of money, that still matters. When you fail a class, that still matters. When you're exhausted and you feel like, I can't get out of bed this morning, that still matters. When you do well and somebody praises you, that doesn't matter. He does. He must increase. I must decrease. When we forget that the prize is him, we've stopped reaching forth. We've stopped running our race. Because if we settle for anything but him in our life, we're going to come short of the finish line. Because the finish line is him.